The average person spends roughly 10,000 days of their adult life working. So this is 10,000 Days, a podcast exploring career journeys and the ways that we can apply that time to make a positive impact in the world. The goal of this podcast is to offer you tools, strategies, and inspiration to reflect on your own career. We have an amazing lineup of guests joining us this season that will help you navigate your journey, design the career that you want, and find the courage to make it happen. Welcome to the 10,000 Days Podcast. I'm Ian Brody, along with my good friend and co-host, Greg Ogiba, bringing you the final episode of season two. To wrap up this season, we wanted to bring someone who created a purpose-driven career and could also offer some leadership perspectives on career development and finding your purpose. Joining us on this episode is Henry Gordon-Smith, founder of Agritecture, an advisory and tech firm focused on climate-smart agriculture. Henry is a, a really impressive person, and speaking to him about how he built his career and how he leads agritecture today is the perfect way to wrap up the second season. Um, but first, a little bit of background on Henry. He is a bit of a nomad, and by that I mean he he holds a handful of passports. We caught up with him while he was visiting his parents in Prague, where he grew up before he moved to Canada a bit later in life. And, and Henry, he's, he's created a really impressive career in sustainable food systems. He talks a lot about solving problems and creating value. Um, and, and that deliberate approach is really worth paying attention to. Yeah, and also one story to listen for is about how his staff rallied behind him during COVID when uh, projects were put on hold and revenue fell behind budget. And listening to this, this story, you get the impression that this is a leader and a company that people want to work for. And a reminder, if you are looking for career coaching and support, you can reach out to Day Merrill and her team at To Be Determined. They are there to support you with all of your career planning, executive, and job search needs. To learn more, head to tobedetermined.ca. That's the number two, the letter B, determined.ca. Now, we hope you enjoy our final conversation of this season with Henry Gordon-Smith. So welcome to the 10,000 Days podcast, Henry. Thanks. Good to be here. When, when we did the introduction already, we mentioned that you are a bit of a nomad ever since the pandemic. Where are you recording from today? Yeah, so today I'm in Prague, Czech Republic, and I'm here for a couple of reasons. One reason is that my parents live here. I'm half Czech, so I try to spend some time with them in the summertime at their country house. I help with the garden, uh, just spend time with parents as they get older. And the other reason is that I have a client here uh, that we're working on with hop production and helping them adapt to droughts and climate change conditions through IoT and AI. Very cool. And I mean, hot topic in uh, in in Europe right now too, right? Uh, with, with drought. Unintended. Yeah. Hot topic. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. You know, this project is an AI for Earth funded grant for Microsoft um, in partnership with Acai, which owns Pilsner Urquell, which is the world's first uh, Pilsner beer that was ever brewed. So it's an economic, cultural uh, asset to the country. Czech Republic is the third largest exporter of hops. 
However, if we look at the last 70 years of data on hop production, we can see extreme volatility in the last five years. So they have really high yields, really low yields, one year, next year, and the farmers are just scrambling to know what to do. So we're trying to empower them with data to help guide them on watering, fertilizer, pesticides, what to prepare for and make them more data empowered as we move from this very traditional way of growing into a smart way of growing. So I'm wondering if we could take a little step back for our listeners <laughs> and uh, talk a little bit about uh, agritexture. Yeah, so agritexture is a global consulting services and digital tools company. So that means that we provide services to help the transition to more climate smart agriculture. So whether you're an entrepreneur and you need a feasibility study or farm design, we help you with that. We do all the services to get you started. We've launched many different farms across the world. Most of these farms tend to be high-tech greenhouses and vertical farms and various urban farming types. That's uh, most of our expertise uh, in the early years. Uh, we also provide a range of services to policymakers. You know, we're working with the International Organization for Migration now. The city of Dallas is a client of ours. We work with corporates. We've worked with corporations like BASF and Coca-Cola and Ikea to guide their strategies for the sector. And we also work with investors and conduct due diligence as they're investigating companies to invest in uh, for the sector. And they need to navigate, you know, how good is their IP? Is their yield legitimate? What red flags there are there? So those are the services. Um, the software we can get a little bit more into later on, but essentially it's like an online version of our feasibility studies. You can input your location and you can estimate the capex, opex, yield, water, jobs of any greenhouse or vertical farm on earth. And our intention is to make it you know, 100 times faster, 100 times cheaper to understand this data and start to plan more farms for the future. So it sounds like it's, I mean, you're focused on finding solutions from you know food systems to climate issues, general health of, of your fellow citizens. How important is it to have that greater purpose uh, for you and your team? Well, for me, it's and my team, it's it's hugely critical. It's it's a, it's, a, it's such a big part of our DNA. It's part of our recruiting process. It's part of our ongoing discussions as a team. It's part of the projects we choose. Let me give you a couple examples and just a little bit from the origin story. Right. So for me, I was studying political science and I got exposed to climate change, as many of us uh, do at some point in our life. And I just was so astonished by the overwhelming challenge ahead of us. And I, I actually, after some internships in the public sector, I didn't think that policy was going to be the most impactful way for me to make a difference. I knew I wanted to work in the sector and making a difference. Uh, and that was really sort of like the origin story of my purpose. What I didn't know is what am I going to do? Am I going to work in water? Am I going to work in agriculture? Am I going to work in buildings? I mean, sustainability and climate change is such a broad uh, challenge to solve. So you have to pick a niche related to that. I started talking to some you know, business experts uh, from my network. I didn't know anything about business. I mean, I never studied finance. I've never been good at math. You know, I, 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 did, I didn't consider myself entrepreneurial at all. So I just went to like people who I, I, I thought had done that. And over and over, they started saying, you know, business is about finding a gap and filling it better than anyone else. And so when we think about purpose, I mean, purpose can also be about finding a gap and filling it better than anyone else. And that, and that gap can be whatever you want. You can find better bean bags and ship them from Alibaba and sell them for more money on Amazon. You can do a better watch or build some crazy financial product. Or you can look around you and look at society and the environment and solve those problems and create value while you solve those problems. And that is social entrepreneurship. And that was sort of my transition into that. 
And I started three blogs. One was about water, one was about urban development, and one was called agriculture. And I did the three blogs to test out two things. One, which one do I love the most? Uh, and two, uh, which one does do people love the most that I can create value and business out of? Like what's a mm -hmm. gap I can fill better than anyone else? And after six months of trialing those three blogs, it became apparent uh, that both on one and two, agriculture was just a better fit. Uh, the audience was more engaged. I, I was never tired of learning more about these farms and, and connecting people. And I started coming up with new products and services and solutions. I, I just constantly kept finding energy to tackle this issue. So that's where my purpose became very clear, which is to really help, you know, the empower the transition to a more adaptable food system. Henry, I just want to jump back for a second here. So at the the very everything you've done is purpose driven and and in the sustainable farming vein. And one of the early opportunities that you you took was an intern at a company called Sky Vegetables. So was that something you you looked for or was that sort of a happy accident? And then it sort of turned into your career path. So the backstory behind Sky Vegetables is also kind of interesting because I as I was moving into the sector, I, I'm not a farmer. I'm, I'm not a greenhouse operator. I, you know, I, I never studied agriculture, you know, so I needed to, to get some experience or some education related to that. So actually Ryerson University has a rooftop farm and a really cool urban agriculture and food security program that's online. And so I took advantage of that to see, in addition to the blog, can I be a, a understanding the science and practice of this uh, from, let's say, an academic perspective? And that was a global analysis of this. And that really helped me. So that was a certificate. So that's one thing. I got my education piece now, something on my resume for that. Then I started applying for like jobs and finding companies that were interesting. I thought I, I would work for one of these cool companies. One company was in New York called Bright Farms. And um, I submitted my resume to them. I submitted my final project for my certificate program at Ryerson. And they're like, oh, we follow your blog. That's awesome. We'd love to meet you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'm in Prague, which is where I was after my studies, you know, because I was poor and was living with my parents. But anyway, so <laughs> so I I was like, okay, well, can you fly me over? You know, I mean, I was so young and naive, right? And they're like, uh, no, like we're a startup. Sorry, I thought you were in New York. And so I was like, this is the moment. Like, this is the moment where I took my destiny into my own hands, really. Cause I said, you know what, don't worry about it. I'm visiting my brother. I'll be there anyway in a couple of weeks. So I'll just see you then, you know? And I sort of tried to play it cool. And I went online and, you know, I had $1,200 in my bank account. And I spent $600 on a one-way ticket to New York city. And, and I went to this job interview and I was so excited. Uh, we had a great conversation, but then later on, they told me, you don't have the hard skills that we need. You're not an architect, you're not an engineer, you're not a grower. We love your blog. We love your energy, all that blah, 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 but thanks, but no thanks. So I'm like in New York and I'm just like alone and poor and there's nothing. So I, so I started like sort of hustling and doing like social media consulting and, you know, working in bars and, you know, the typical New York story. And I found Sky Vegetables and I sort of, I needed hydroponics experience. And I sort of made a trade with them. I said, I'll do your social media for free if you train me once a week on hydroponics. And I was basically just, you know, unpaid labor in the greenhouse learning hydroponics uh, because that was important that I understood how it worked and what the farmers mm -hmm. go through and the reality of that. And it was a serious reality check, but that's how I made that deal and that internship. What was really cool is that years later, when I started the consulting firm, Sky Vegetables had challenges and they hired us as consultants. And so they became a client, which was really awesome. Uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but that's the story behind that. And that's something I recommend to a lot of young people. Find out what you're good at, 
and and use that as leverage to get the experience in the areas you're not good at. And and so it goes back to your approach with the blogs as well in terms of testing out, you know, yes. which one works for the market, which one works yes. uh, for you. And, and then also, you know, getting that subject matter expertise as well. Um, it seems very methodical. My question is, was it methodical on purpose or did it feel methodical at the time? <laughs> I think the methodology piece came from my teenage years when I first read Descartes and his method of truth. And for me, I have held that as a principle for learning in my life, where it's like, if you want to know if something's true, you have to sort of believe it's true and engage in it fully uh, and test that and then have the courage to walk away if it doesn't deliver its promise. It's a bit philosophical, but that, that's been an ongoing uh, way of testing things for me, which is where the blog came from. And and same thing with my studies, right? If you don't want to know something, I need to sort of be the urban ag guy, live it, breathe it, be the brand. And then if I'm not happy with that, I need to walk away and change it. But you're not going to know unless you you really dive in fully. And I think a lot of people don't practice that, but it's it's very effective for me. Yeah. And there's a level of persistence there as well, where, you know, you dive in, maybe you have a bad day and you give up or something like that, but you know, there, there's certainly a level of persistence required, I think as well. And, and I, it's a really good conversation because it all goes back to something that we talked about on the first episode of this season around self-discovery um, and, and really discovering who you are in a very proactive way. Yeah, I mean, life is short and you have to really take it into your own hands and it's going to be full of bumps and it's super corny, but you're right. The persistence is important. But again, that's why embracing the identity is a big part of finding your truth. Like you can't be like, oh, I'm going to try volleyball and see if I like it. No, you need to like buy the gear and you need to follow the accounts on Instagram and you need to watch the videos. You need to create camaraderie and you need to like be very optimistic that it is your truth. And then when it isn't, just walk away, right? It's not worth Mm -hmm. your energy anymore. But when you're in it, when you're trialing it, don't do it in a half way, do it fully. I think it's awesome the the way that you present yourself in the industry with so much energy. And as you said, you're you're an expert in this field and you've made that very clear. Of all of the uh, advisory boards that you sit on and and, um, the volunteer work. So for our listeners who are looking to kind of move in that direction, get more involved, can you can you speak to what is the value of being on an advisory board um, or or volunteer position and in, in you know practical terms how do you actually how do you get there? Yeah, that's a super interesting question. I mean, I really didn't think I'd be on a board member at various companies or nonprofits. Um, I think that LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool to push your brand forward and create inbound requests for consulting, for job opportunities, uh, for board opportunities. So, you know, one thing I've done very well is I've been less afraid than most to communicate my expertise as it grows, as it evolves, and my achievements and uh, produce, you know, content that pushes the industry forward and stands out. Uh, I practice that consistently. I learned that skill from my mom and I implemented it into my life very early on. So I remember first time I got approached for a board seat was with a, a group called Common Health Action, and they wanted to improve the context of health. And they wanted, you know, somebody young and dynamic and energetic, and they wanted the connection to food on it. And I was a board member there for a year. Um, it was very interesting to learn all the aspects of board work, which sometimes can be very dull and budgets and all this stuff. 
Um, but I really wanted to engage with the mission. And actually, it, it wasn't a great fit for me. It wasn't connected enough to my passion for agriculture. It was a little bit too far on the edge. And so, you know, I just resigned from that board seat. But I learned a lot uh, from that role. And I, I learned a lot by working with those professionals. After that, you know, I think a lot of interest came from people in the industry that had startups and they wanted to put my name on their website uh, to essentially drive investment and drive reputation. Again, I've been doing this long enough that people seem to know my name, which is a privilege. So, you know, those companies utilize that. Now, the benefits I get from it are, uh, number one, I get to really support companies that are earlier or I get a lot of satisfaction of helping nonprofits like Teens for Food Justice, which is probably my most engaged and favorite uh, board role. For the private companies, it's more about really talking to other CEOs and other uh, senior leadership, which is also helpful to me as a solo founder to feel um, I can give empathy to them, they can give empathy to me. Uh, it becomes a really good relationship of trust uh, as well. I think that there's brand value to it. So obviously my having more board seats only adds to the prestige that people had originally when they requested it from me, uh, because now I'm legitimately uh, listed and connected to other companies that are successful. Um, and finally, I would say it's uh, you get compensated for some of them, right? So you can negotiate it and it's, a, it's another way to create additional revenue streams or long-term value out of equity uh, with that. Now, some are not compensated, some are different ways and you have to think about that and what matters to you. Um, but that's what I really get out of it and that's how I got them. So um, as I said earlier on, on social media, on LinkedIn in particular, which has become a powerful platform, uh, you're well known for what what you do, and you communicate that very effectively and authentically. How do you have any rules for how you get your brand out there? And maybe thinking somebody who doesn't have quite the confidence or the courage or is developing that. Do you have any advice for for that person? Oh, so much advice. <laughs> but I guess a, 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 a few a few key pieces uh, that you have to remember is first of all the principle of branding and personal branding that so many people forget. And my mom says this really well. She's like, if you're not branding yourself, someone else is branding you. So when people tell me they're afraid of putting themselves out there, no matter what, you have some kind of internet footprint. And if you don't have an internet footprint, that itself is a brand. So the fact that you wouldn't spend energy controlling what your brand is or influencing it to me is very illogical. So that's the first principle is just take advantage of yourself and who you are and the fact that Everybody has a brand no matter what, and you should be writing your own brand. The number two is like consistency. So I think one of the things I get a lot of feedback on is people really know what I'm about. I, I, I sort of like broaden out into all protein and different food, but I'm always talking about food and agriculture. I'm always talking about climate change, I'm always talking about greenwashing and sustainability. I'm always talking about, you know, agriculture and the suite of things we give. Um, I'm always talking about events. You know, this is all connected to the same industry. And so my mission is very clear. Why is that important, right? That's important because branding isn't about the first person that you reach, okay? Uh, or, or the first person that sees my LinkedIn or is connected to me. It's about who they talk to. When they're in a meeting or at a conference or in a bar and someone says, you know, I actually wanna get into hydroponic agriculture that person will promote Henry and agriculture because that person is so confident that I know what I'm doing because I've been so consistent. Now, if I start posting cat videos and politics and other stuff like that, I'm gonna have less confidence from my network to send me referrals. And I think also creativity is important too. And that's a little bit different from consistency. You don't wanna 
get boring or dull. You do want to surprise people a little bit, but you know, very tactfully. So for us, that means you know, mixing up the content from just commercial to also including not-for-profit work, uh, also including impact projects, maybe challenging an assumption I had before and admitting that and being being more vulnerable and accessible, uh, which may surprise people because that gives it more of a authenticity to it, which is uh, some feedback I appreciate from you that you notice because I try to be authentic. And that also means, you know, again, some creativity in the approach. So those are a few principles in it um, that hopefully the audience can take with them. So let's switch gears a bit. Um, on this season, you know, we've we've explored themes of change and uncertainty in the workplace. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges that you and your team had to endure uh, over the last two and a half years? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, <laughs> there's there's a, a perception of success and um, stability. Uh, but I think in any sort of young company, there's a lot of chaos and, and COVID mm-hmm. affected a lot of people worse than us, but we had our own challenges. So mm-hmm. essentially there were two things that were really, really uh, difficult during COVID. One was the fact that as the founder and the CEO and the sort of like leader of the company, I was stuck in Oman for four months. So a very difficult time zone um, relative to the rest of the team, a lot of uncertainty about what was happening. I was going through my own emotional uh, loneliness and distress in in a place in a lockdown where I didn't have a community and a network to support me. So for, for those four months, I think it was difficult just me emotionally going through that. And the second part was that our clients just started dumping us. So they just got scared. So we had signed our biggest uh, retainer and contract ever. Um, and if you're listening, you know who you are and they completely backed out of it, uh, you know, after signing the contract and just completely bailed, completely flaked, refused to do it. Um, and, you know, really just blew our projections down dismally. And that started this sort of domino. I mean, it wasn't really connected to the others, but there was a sort of domino experience in our company of deals slowing down, retainers not coming in, payments stop. I mean, the whole world just stopped. So for the first time as a company where I had really focused on being careful with our, our money, I had three months, two and a half months left of money in the bank. And I feel such a deep responsibility as the CEO to compensate team members and thinking about not being able to compensate them during a time that's very emotionally difficult for them, like the pandemic and financially difficult potentially for their partners and their salaries being affected was, I mean, the hardest business uh, challenge I've ever had to deal with. So I tried to like go back again to the purpose of the company from a people side and and the sort of family, very transparent culture we have at Agritecture as as a relatively small company. Um, So we we talk a lot about financials together across the company quite widely. We practice a lot of transparency. So I simply went to the team and I said, I said, okay, I'm going to cut my salary. I forgot. And it was 65, 70% moving forward until this this sort of thing recovers. I don't know how long it's going to take but that's the maximum I can do. I need you to let me know by Friday how much you can cut. Um, My intention is not to let any of our full-time staff go. We want everybody to have some compensation through this challenge. We don't know how long it's gonna be. um, And we need to cut costs and not lose any staff members. And every single person on my team volunteered something or another related to that. And I mean, I had a huge respect for the team. It built a lot of trust in the team. Obviously it was hard when that actually happened, you know, we had to also maintain executing work and trying to find business. Like people had to still work the same amount, but they were getting paid a lot less money. Um, we tracked everything that we, um, you know, didn't pay them. 
when money came in from a PPP loan, thank goodness, plus uh, revenue picked up, we paid everybody back, we owed them. That built a lot of trust in the company. I, I like to think that my company, my team members think that we're in it together. Um, so that was just the hardest thing for me uh, as a challenge. Um, other things that have been difficult are fundraising, you know, because we're a services and digital company. So a lot of investors are just like, I'm not interested in services. I don't care if you're profitable. I don't care. I just don't want services. VCs are not interested in it. You know, angels might be interested in it, but everything's about tech and software and scalability and all of that. So that's just like very hard when you build a successful company and you're just getting constant, constant rejection, um, especially for someone like me that tends to get pretty positive reactions from people as I uh, tell them things about what they should do or write good articles. I mean, I get a lot of positive feedback. And so to just get really bad feedback from investors about a company you've built, it's just really hard to have that energy mixed in with the other things I have to do during the day. Uh, so that that's hard. And, and I, I think I took that in. And honestly, I think I went through a lot of depression through the fundraising period and ups and downs, uh, really, really, really hard. My, my light was, was just shattered a little bit or, or shaded a little bit from that experience. I think also just in general, personal life affecting work is really hard when you're a solo founder. Like you, you, you're so dedicated to your business and your work that when something goes awry in your personal life, it's really hard not to bring it into your work life and have it affect your staff members. Something I've made a lot of mistakes on is the way I communicate with my team, the way I, I, I let my stress or loneliness or whatever uh, spill over onto them and, and something I'm constantly trying to improve. Mm -hmm. And it's something we really talked about actually on a previous episode as well is, you know, that importance of, of being that positive light, especially in a leadership role, but that's, that can be remarkably challenging um, at times. And, uh, but, but I just want to comment real quick about, you know, the transparency, um, the integrity, the, the honesty that, that you brought through, through that whole period. It's, uh, I think it's really remarkable. And I think it's, quite rare as well. So uh, kudos to you. I need to feel like, again, it's it's strategic as well as ethical for me. Like it's what I would want yeah. my boss to treat me like, yeah. um, but it's also I think strategic for building trust. I, I'm nothing without my team, nothing. Agritecture is nothing without its people. So if, if they don't understand where they are, where they stand, what their future is, I can lose them at any moment. So it's, it's also a strategic decision as well as an, a, a sort of values one for me. Um, it's an awesome story. And I think you said that that's, that is really leadership. That's being a leader. So I do, I have a couple of questions here. You mentioned some of the, the challenges you had personally being isolated, being under pressure, uh, and mental health is a, is a big topic this season. And, and always, it's just a huge topic right now. What, what sort of things did you do to try and d deal with that? There's little things we've done as a company um, wide, and then there's things I've done as an individual. But as a company, you know, because we're virtual and in different continents, um, we create automated Slack plugs, so to say, to encourage staff members to share how they're feeling. You know, how are you feeling this week? What are you excited about? How was your weekend? You know, share a picture of this thing. And, and Jeffrey Lando, our director of business development, is, I think, one of our you know, main leaders in, in company culture. And he, he's just, and mental health, he's taken it very seriously and he continues to drive it. So credit to him. Um, and another way we do it is I actively meet with every single team member for individual one-on-one -on -one meetings, which takes a lot of time. Um, but I have a monthly meeting with every single junior and senior team member. Senior team members get an hour, junior team members get 30 minutes. And the, the agenda is just how are you feeling? What's going on in your personal life? You know, what are you excited about? What are the challenges you're facing? You know, how's your work going? How are you working with your colleagues? 
And it's just a, a place where I have great, incredible access to me. Um, I also have, you know, all my team members have my number. So if they get sick or if they have a personal issue, they can reach out to me and let me know. And I can tell them it's okay. Take the time you need. We've created a culture of like, when things happen to you, everybody immediately on Slack reaches out, um, encourages people to take the time they need, picks up the work for other people. Uh, that's just something we consistently, thankfully to the team, people demonstrate that with each other, right? You know, go offline, you know, you're not feeling well, or, you know, I was in a car accident recently um, with my mom and, and, you know, it was very traumatic. And my, my team gave me a lot of space and took a lot of things off my plate. So it's, it's both from junior, senior, you know, middle uh, team members across the board. So you know, those are things that we, that, that we've done. I think, I think for me personally, I, I encourage people to get some kind of therapy, especially if you're a solo founder, so you can talk to someone about what's going on. It's extremely lonely. So if you can't talk to somebody openly about what you're feeling, it's very difficult. You need to do other things like I'm, I'm, I, I exercise as a daily if I can, a very, very important foundation for my mental health and, and just overall health. Um, I try to spend time doing good uh, with my family or my nonprofit activities. These things all really help me um, just be more resilient and, and, and more engaged and more happy, but it's very, very lonely. When, when, when difficulty happens, you know, you just, sometimes you just have to deal with it. And then you have to go with, I mean, I could have 10 more calls that day after a really difficult business related challenge or failure. And I just have to suck it up and push and push and push and push and push. And if I don't push through that day, it just all spills into the next day and the next day and the next day. And this every day gets tougher. So I, I just sometimes just have to push through it and then find time later on to be like, mm -hmm. okay, what happened to me? What was that experience like? Who can I talk to about it. Yeah. So I have so much to improve there, but those are some of my uh, management tactics for the team and myself. Um, and let me, let me ask this question. Cause we're, we're still living in a period of uncertainty. I think um, it's going to continue. How have you and your team found the opportunities in this, this, this landscape and what do you intend to do to move forward, to capture some more of these opportunities? Well, I think when, you know, my, interest in urban agriculture and and high-tech controlled agriculture that's resilient to climate change began i really was looking to the future i mean i was like this is going to get a lot worse you know like it's bad now but again 10 years ago i knew it was going to get a lot worse and i knew that the business i was building was a business for the future more than it was for the present and i knew that there were going to be difficulties in the first five years um, that were going to become opportunities in the next five years uh, and so that's what we're really in right now. So things like policy, you know, there were no directors of urban agriculture. Now there are multiple ones and we've worked with uh, ministers of agriculture, directors of agriculture, urban agriculture. So, you know, we've been ready for the response from cities and policymakers to act on this with our portfolio of experience and our team and our understanding. That was very intentional. I saw that happening. I knew that was going to happen. I invested in maybe deals where I lost money because we had to learn so many things to get up to speed early on to build portfolio pieces, because I knew that that would come back with an ROI later on and impact uh, later on. So I think that's that's you know one piece of it. So with the, with the pandemic, a lot of food security policy has, has accelerated with uh, climate change getting worse. We're seeing climate change plans now, including agriculture in the resilience planning, which is what we're doing with Dallas. Uh, it's part of their climate resilience plan. 
you know, with with the war in Ukraine, the discussion continues some more. Um, but we're also seeing like other aspects of the entrepreneurship uh, as people want to do something more meaningful with their life connected to food. And so, you know, we we benefit from that 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 shift and and sort of that prediction and that bet that we made early on um, with it. And I think COVID itself also, you know, like many companies pushed us to be more digital. You know, we had shut down our office right before COVID. So at least we didn't have that shock. It was just December of 2019 because I was traveling so much, just didn't make sense. One of my team members moved to California, et cetera. But we were still very new to being a virtual company and we were building, we had built infrastructure on how do we engage as a virtual company prior to the pandemic. That was hugely helpful. But when the pandemic hit, we said, you know, what are some digital things we can do to make sure people don't forget about us? Um, I mean, obviously we had our blog, which is digital, but we launched a, like right away, we said, okay, here's a gap. Uh, all these people like me that are typically going out and traveling and speaking at events, no longer have events to speak at. They need to generate business. They need to get leads. We're not the only ones with that problem. So we launched a digital conference like almost overnight. And we had 45 different speakers and we posted on YouTube and we did the whole thing for free to drive traffic to our site and to connect with all of our stakeholders and all the suppliers and help people feel excited about the industry and, and that we don't have to be in person to share knowledge. And it wasn't like one of these formalized online events with some you know interface. It was very simple, very cheap, very accessible. It was free. I mean, it was completely free for everyone. Um, so that was one thing we did. We also came up with something called Ask Agritecture, which is basically on demand, people can request our services. A lot of our services before the pandemic, people met with us and went to our office. Um, now we have a $99, 30-minute conversation with a follow-up email. You can just click it, book us, and ask us anything. Um, so that was a new response to sort of people being at home and saying, okay, maybe I have more time. Maybe I'm thinking about something. We wanted to reduce the barrier for them to explore their creativity as it relates to agriculture and sustainability. Uh, so that's what Ask Agriculture was about. And then of course, Agriculture Designer, our software where people could plan the farms, you know, in entirety at home and the, the beta version of that, that we launched, you know, in uh, May, 2020. So a lot of, a lot of shifts uh, related to the pandemic, uh, both in, in products we built, services we did, and, and again, how we, how we changed the way we work together internally. Two more questions for you, Henry, before we let you go. First one, where can people go to find out more about yourself and agritecture? Yeah, I mean, if you want to find out about me, definitely check out my LinkedIn, uh, Henry Gordon Smith. Uh, if you like what I'm doing, you can shoot me a follow link and I post articles and, and a lot of content on there and you can reach out to me. I respond to messages as well. If you're more interested in my travel, you can check me out at The Agritect on Instagram and I do farm tours and you can see the place I'm visiting. And I also talk about my fitness and like various uh, aspects of being a nomad, nomad on there and social entrepreneurship. Um, and of course, agriculture.com is where you can learn all about our services and our software and the suite of solutions that can help you identify, you know, what kind of farm you should build and what it would take to get there. So those are some places you can look up and uh, would love to hear from you. Awesome. And before we sign off, we like to ask our guests one final piece of advice uh, that you'd give for young professionals that, you know, may be considering a change or, or a next step in their careers. If you had to give them one piece of advice, what would that be? Well, my standard answer really relates to like Esther Dyson, who's a very successful VC and tech entrepreneur and investor. And she's uh, one of our investors in agriculture, great privilege. And I've known her since I was younger. And she's one of those business people that I went to for a lot of guidance. And, you know, she always says, always make new mistakes. 
you know, and I like that because the always part is about that consistency of taking risks and, and being open and being bold. Um, and then, you know, the new mistakes part is very important. If you're repeating the same mistakes, you're really not learning. But, you know, a lot of people talk about entrepreneurship and embracing failure. And it, it really is true. You learn so much from those failures um, and you need a practice of taking those risks, learning from the failures and moving on. So I mean, when you're young, it is the time to take smart risks um, and, and, you know, and make make new mistakes. So I think that's a really good one. A different one, I mean, is just, I don't know, it's not for young people only, but again, I, I, I recently survived a, a very terrible car accident. So for me, it's about gratitude. Like it's just changed my entire perspective. Like tell the people you love that you love them daily. Wake up in the morning and take a moment to just practice gratitude because life is really fragile and really short. So gratitude is so powerful um, for something that can just help you have strength and resilience and just have a better experience with yourself and the people around you. Um, what it does, it translates to a lot of kindness. You know, I think that as entrepreneurs, you tend and business people, we get very like practical and business focused. And so gratitude helps us foster kindness, which is an important part of business that, that you know, you don't want to lose. All great advice and uh, a great way to wrap up the season as well. So thank you so much, Henry, for joining the 10,000 Days guys. podcast. And it was, it was so great to have you on. Yeah, great to have you. Great questions. Uh, thanks so much. Really appreciate the time and conversation. Thanks again to Henry for wrapping up the season with us. And thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. And feel free to reach out to us if you have any comments, uh, questions, suggestions for another season, or if you just want to say hi. Ian and I are easy to find on LinkedIn, so don't be shy. One last reminder to check out tobedetermined.ca. Day Merrill and her team at To Be Determined are there to support you every step of the way in your career journey. This has been the 10,000 Days Podcast, and we'll see you soon.